I'm going to read from Psalms chapter 127. We'll just read one verse, verse number 1. It reads like this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Amen. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that, that build it. We started uh, preaching, I, I say several weeks ago, four or five weeks ago. Uh, we, we've had a number of families, individuals to get saved, and God began to deal with my heart about, as I was praying for them, about edifying them in fundamentals of our faith. Help them to grow spiritually, something that would feed them and edify their spirit. And God began to deal with me about Christianity, what it is, or maybe what it should be versus what people think it is. And we started a, a, a message entitled Christianity in You, and I went from there to Christianity in Your Life. And then we went to Christianity in Your Home, or, or your faith. And then last week it was Christianity and your church. And tonight I want to deal with Christianity and your home. Amen. This thing ought to become such a part of us that it gets into our home life. Amen. So uh, pray for me tonight, if you will. Father, we thank you for the word. We come now. Lot's fallen to preach it. I pray, God, you'll quicken me, you'll anoint me, you'll empower me. God, to do what uh, what you dealt with me about in the altar when we started this, and that's to edify your people, to build them up in their most holy faith. Me to surround this altar, Lord, you know what every need is. There's some families, Lord, in this house that need absolute miracles. God uh, needs you to work. They might be here and their spouse is not. They need you to work, Lord. God, uh, uh, I, I don't know what every need is, but you do. and You're able to meet them all through Christ by his riches. We ask it together in Christ's name. If you love him, would you say amen? Amen. amen. As I was preparing for the message, uh, you look up things pertaining to the home, pertaining to the family unit, what God has to say about them how society has impacted the family and the home. I read this, thought it was interesting enough to add to the introduction to the message. Tonight in the year 1861, an American consul that worked with the American consulate named John Howard Payne died in Tunis. His diplomatic career has long been forgotten. He wrote a number of plays. They are all long gone. But he wrote a poem. He wrote a number of poems. But one of the poems he wrote has infamously lived on for a long time. The name of that poem was Home Sweet Home. It's important for us to remember that the whole idea of home or family, was not derived by man, but rather by God. God founded the family. God founded the home. God founded marriage. The reason why hell has so attacked the foundation of marriage, home, family, fatherhood, motherhood, all of it, reason hell hates it so is because God is the author of it. God uh, blessed us with the foundation and the institution of home. And I feel like it's important because church is made up of families. And a strong family and a strong home promotes the health of a strong church. I believe the Bible has a lot to say about both the church and the home. And it's with this in mind that God dealt with me tonight to preach on uh, the church, or Christianity rather, not that 
Christianity in our home. We want to start tonight looking at, when we deal with the home, the divine foundation of the home. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Fundamental to every home is the necessity of a strong relationship, a partnership, if you will, in marriage. That's that's what we build our home. That relationship we is built, a home is on the marriage. You talk about a family, a home, you talk about it beginning with marriage, and that marriage has to have its foundation in God. Can you say amen? amen? Men and women who choose to ignore that fact and dare, so to speak, on entering into marriage lightly find out real quick that things can fall apart very fast if the foundation is not built upon Jesus Christ. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And if God were to build a house, if he were in the construction business, and if he were a carpenter or a contract, I can guarantee you he would have a strong foundation. God is going to build a home. He's not going to cut any corners. Not going to cut any corners. If he's the uh, constructor of the house, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He's going to build it on the right foundation. That is, when a man and a woman acknowledge him because they have a relationship with him and then they build their relationship with each other in agreement with their relationship with him. He tells us concerning marriage, be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Why? Because it won't ever work. It won't ever work. If you desire and strive to live for God and your spouse is fighting and striving to live in the world, oil and water don't mix. Amen. It takes two. How can two walk together except they be agreed? There has to be a coming together. And that foundation is Christ. And it builds a strong foundation of relationship with one another. God, in building the house, has ordained and authorized that there be a strong marriage. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 18, the scripture says, And therefore... Prepared, meaning God prepared a help meet for him. The word meet means fit and suitable. God gave Adam a wife. He said it's not good for man to be alone. He needs to be able to share or to give his love to someone. God created two of every beast in the field and blessed them and they were fruitful and multiplied and He gave Adam dominion over all the beasts of the field. and He made them all to walk before him, and Adam named them. And Adam looked around and noticed that he didn't have a companion. And it brought sorrow to his heart, and God said it's not good that a man would be alone. And so he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and took a rib out of his side, and from Adam's rib made a woman, and listen to this, and the Lord brought her unto the man, in verse number 22. Again, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built. God prepared Adam's wife for him and blessed him with a wife that was fit and suitable for him. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 6, What therefore God hath joined together, 
let no man put asunder. In other words, God authorized, ordained, or solemnized the, the act of marriage. And he said what God has ordained, solemnized, or brought together, let no man try to put it asunder. Amen. Let no man try to put it asunder. I can tell you, when individuals come together in the covenant of marriage, and there is a ripping, a tearing, or a breaking apart, don't think that it doesn't come with inflicting damage. It comes with great damage. If a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. If you try to break up the foundation of the home, the walls and the roofs and nothing else are going to be able to withstand that. It's all going to fall. So the foundation of the home is our relationship with Christ and then our relationship with each other. And God said what I've ordained, what I've brought together, what I've solemnized, don't try to destroy that. My, I, I'm terrible at counseling because I try to oversimplify things. I'll say it, I'm a good listener, and I'll say it, and I'll listen, and I'll listen, and I'll listen, but it still all comes back to your relationship with God. And your relationship with God, if it's not where it needs to be, then your relationship with your husband or your wife, your spouse, won't be where it needs to be because you're going to be selfish. You're going to think of yourself and not them. It's going to all be about you. You've been hurt. You've been wrong. You've been this. And I understand there can be some grievous severances that destroy a marriage. Infidelity being one of them. Grievous severances that will tear a home apart. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, when speaking about marriage, he gave no excuse whatsoever to sever the relationship he said save for fornication that grievous wound of infidelity so i'm i'm saying there there are things that the devil uses to try to tear a home apart and then there are just petty differences the court calls them irreconcilable differences let that be said about the world but not about you and i there should be no irreconcilable differences where a child of God is concerned. We know how to pray. And we know how to pray through. And if we do pray, and if we do pray through, then God will bring us together. Amen. In every home that is constructed, not only is it constructed with a good foundation, it also must be a home that is going to keep one safe. Except the Lord there in that same verse. Build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh in vain. The wakeful watchmen on the walls of the city have not prevented the evils that have threatened home life throughout the centuries. God is the only one that can rightfully protect your family. We, we think about, oh, I, I want to protect my children from this, and I want to protect my children from this, and I want to protect them from uh, this evil influence. Hey, I'm all for it. When my girls were attending uh, the school in, in Somerdale, Kirsten was in the fifth grade, and she'd come home one day, and she's crying. And Kim talked with her about what was wrong, and she said, I can't have any friends. She's like, you can have friends. You just have to be friendly. You have to be more outgoing. You have to, you know, work at it, talk to people. They, you know, you can have friends. She said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I can't have friends that, you know, I hang out with or they hang out with me. The, the, the difference is we live for God and they don't. She said, well, you can still have friends that aren't Christians. You know, they're just, uh, you, you can't allow them to influence. She said, well, that's just the thing. 
She said, all, their, all the girls in that school are interested in having a relationship with, with a boy and about sleeping, I'm putting it mildly, with those boys. And, and, and she's like, no, they're, they're not doing that. They, they might be lying to you and telling you they are. She said, Mom, they have pictures. Fifth graders. Kim called me in there and she was crying and Kirsten was crying. Kirsten told me the story and I was crying. And I just went, I just went to God in prayer. I was just so broken. Fifth graders, fifth grade, children, babies. I thought, how? Why? And I was weeping and crying. The Holy Ghost said to me, He said, you know, you're, you're an adult. You're an adult full of the Holy Ghost and you can walk in that kind of perversion and that kind of filth and you can stand guard. You can stand against the wiles of the devil. You're, you're well equipped and well prepared to stand against that. I forget how old she was in the fifth grade. Too young to be dealing with that kind of pressure. And the Lord said to me, I want you to get her away from that. I haven't even had uh, time to fill that girl with the Holy Ghost yet. Caitlin was right underneath her, a couple of grades. She's not ready for that. She's not equipped to face that. Not only did I pull them out of the public school and we began to homeschool, and if your children are in public school, I'm, I'm, that's fine. I'm not promoting, you know, that that's bad or wicked or evil versus homeschool that's your prerogative as parents the next thing god did is he told me just taking them out of the environment taking them out of the evil doesn't protect them you're going to have to you separate somebody from the world or from the evil or from the sin it's got to be under god you can't just leave a wicked environment and say, I'm going to settle over here and I'll be better. If the over here is not in Christ, then it still won't work. So the next thing that come a priority in my life was teaching my girls how to pray. Teaching my girls how to live for God and why to live for God and making it a priority that my girls be full of the Holy Ghost. I say my girls, Caleb was a, literally a baby. I mean, he was, he was born our first year at Somerdale. So, uh, I wasn't even thinking in that arena for him then, but I can tell you I am now. Amen. Whether it be a young lady or a young man, it takes the Lord to properly defend the home. And you ought to want to defend your home. It's built upon the right foundation, the walls, the doors, the windows, the roof. You can keep them safe from the elements of the outside. I found out just last week, I, I've been taking it for granted. I, maybe I've always taken it for granted, but, ha, but having to help that young couple that's literally homeless. Not a set of parents, not a set of grandparents, not a friend, not relative. They burned all their bridges. Listen, I know the story. And hey, they haven't been angels. They have burned their bridges, so to speak. And, and they're just out there, living in the woods. I talked to him last night, and he's already been kicked out of the home that I took him to and dropped him off in Atmore. And, of course, it wasn't his fault. It was their fault. And, again, can you carry me to Dothan? I found somebody that will let me stay there, and they're going to. I said, no, I'm not carrying you anywhere. Nowhere. Until you get right with God, it's always going to be somebody else's fault. But maybe I've taken for granted a home. I remember riding for hours that day. It was awful weather. You remember it's week before last? It was 
you know, the temperature was dropping, the wind was blowing 30 miles an hour, and it just poured rain all day long. Miserable weather. I was listening to this boy talk to people, and the way he talked to people, and just a smart aleck and smart mouth. And I told him several times, you need to stop talking. I'll do the talking. Well, they, I said, they don't need to do nothing. They're trying to help you. Finally, the last time, I said, shut up. Shut your mouth. I'm tired of you smart-mouthing people that are trying to help you. And so I, I, I couldn't make myself put him out in the cold. I started one time. I was so frustrated. I was talking to this woman. He interjected and just blurted into the conversation, so rudely spoke to her. And that's when I told him, shut your mouth. I started at that moment. It crossed my mind. I said, I am going to go to the ballpark there on Cedar Street in Foley. They've got those in-the-ground dugouts. I said, I'm going to drop this boy off at the ballpark, throw his stuff up in the dugout and tell him, you just stay right here. It's forecasted to rain all the rest of that day, that night, drop into the 20s. It was freezing. Me and Brother Homer tried to go hunting the next morning. I'm telling you, it was brutal cold. I couldn't make myself do it. I, I just, I rode down, I rode a, around the block, and when I got to Cedar Street, and it's just pouring down, raining, I said, God, I can't leave this boy in a dugout. He don't have a home. He won't be protected from the elements. You can have a home, and thank God for it. Where you can turn the heater on, the rain's not hitting you, and you can't feel the cold, and you lay down in a comfortable bed. And every child ought to have a a, a home where they where they're safe and where they're protected. Thank God for for a home, a, a place of safety. But we're talking spiritual here. If you can't protect them spiritually, it's like I felt with that boy. I see children. They've got a house, a roof, a bed, warm clothes, plenty to eat. But they've been left to the wolves spiritually. Nobody cares for their soul. Oh, God. It breaks my heart. To properly defend the home, we must teach our children how to pray. He was writing to married couples. Husbands and wives. Warning that the husband give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. We've preached on this before, things that hinder prayer. But he said, give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel that your prayers be not hindered. His intention was to underscore the husband and wife relationship. And in so doing, he made clear that if that relationship was not where it should be, then their prayer life would be hindered. He cautions that when husband and wife are out of fellowship, prayers are hindered. In the light of that, we need to ask ourselves, do we pray not only as an individual, but do we pray as a couple? Do we pray as a family? Do we, do we teach our children how to pray? Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. They walked with him. They ate with him. Wherever they stayed at, whatever town they was in, they slept in the same quarters. They shared everything together. House, meals, devotion. It was almost as if they were a family of believers. They watched Jesus' prayer life, how it ushered him in and propelled him into ministry, how that God heard and answered his prayer, how that his life was a blessing unto others, and they realized uh, this is no ordinary man because uh, of his prayer life. Lord, teach us how to 
pray. Church is not a game. Church is not a social club. Church is not somewhere we go on Sunday and Wednesday. Church is our life. It's who we are. It's what we are. I'm, I'm more than just belong to an organization. It's more than me being affiliated with a denomination. I was born again. I was born into the body of Christ. Jesus is not coming back for a mob of individuals when he raptures away his own. He's coming back for the church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. We belong to a body, a fellowship, a family of believers. We should teach our children to pray if we expect to have a safe home. Amen. Secondly, if we're going to properly defend our home, not only should prayer be emphasized, but also devotion. We need to make the Bible part of our life. This has been a failing influence in most children's lives. The more social media has become prevalent, the more powerful that the television influence has had the less time we have had for devotion. Colossians 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible said, in Paul writing under the Hebrews, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He went on to say, it is profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How will a child know what's right and wrong unless they learn it? Where will they learn it from? How can they know without a preacher? And in this case, the preacher is the Bible. Sunday school class ought not be the first time your children ever hear something from the Bible. Hello. First time they hear something from the Word of God ought not be from their preacher. Maybe it is before they get born again. But after that, it ought to become a practice in our life to teach our children the Word of God. In doing so, you're building a safe haven for their life. David said your word is a lamp under my feet. And a light under my path. Would you let your 16 year old drive at night without headlights? If you will. You're going to get a bad call one night. I wouldn't let my wife or children drive at night without headlights. Why? They're going to run off the road. They're going to die. I wouldn't want to know that my young people were going to school. I wouldn't want to know they're working in a wicked environment. I wouldn't want to know they were trying to live their life in general without any light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need to teach them that the word of God is what gives us course. It's what gives us direction. It's what keeps our life from going over the cliff of destruction. How do you keep it together? How have you done this or done that? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, O God. If we're going to properly defend our home, I, you know, hey, I'm Pentecostal. I've never made any apology for that. I realize a lot of people aren't. But I know what it meant to me growing up as a boy in church, hearing the Word, knowing the Word, understanding the Word, but understanding the commitment that God was asking for of me. Saying, Lord, I'm just not ready. If I, I know if I get saved, then I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to live like my grandpa's living. And hey, hey, I, I'm just not ready to make that kind of commitment. So I never did. And at 22 years old, my life was falling to pieces. My marriage was just about finished and I ran to the Lord for mercy and for help. I can tell you very quickly, 
having been raised and, and grew up in the church of God and in the assembly of God, being very familiar with Pentecost. Nothing for me to see a guy get red-faced and preach and stomp and kick and run the aisles. It was nothing for me to, to see and watch and hear the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Hey, that's just what I, that's my heritage. That's what I grew up in. I thank God for it. I was one of those, I, I've, I've been on the other side of the coin. People that have never, that don't have a church heritage. People that have a heritage of a different denomination. Whatever it might be. But it's not Pentecost. I watched them coming to a Pentecostal church. They're either sitting behind you and you can't see them. Or they're sitting in front of you and you can't see them. Or they're sitting beside you and you can't see them. But I see everybody. And I see those looks of, oh my God. (laughs) Or the Lord speaks to them and they get past that initial shock that a man is raising his voice and kicking his leg and pumping his fist and spraying spit. They get past that because God has dealt with their heart and they come down to the altar. And then people hover around them and lay hands on them. Pray over them in the name of Jesus. I preached at Brother Marshall Adcock's church years ago for their homecoming. Brother Philip and Sister Kim Simmons, some of our best friends now in the world. He had just resigned the church. He was a... Baptist preacher. And the church had beat him up pretty good. And uh, they resigned. And they, it was their first Sunday without, a ch- without pastoring a church. And he didn't feel welcome to go back to his home church. Because he had gotten to preaching so fiery that the home church didn't really want him there. He was helping the pastor. And I think more people got to wanting to hear him. As the associate, then they did the senior pastor. And the senior pastor said, you need to find somewhere else to go. So he said, we couldn't go back to the home church. And we just didn't get voted out. But we felt like they wanted us out. And we resigned our present church. He said, and our children weren't accustomed to just staying at home on Sunday. And he said, I was laying in the bed. And I was just depressed and crying, thinking, where am I going to go to church at? I don't want to just lay here today, Lord, and wallow in my depression. Where can we go? And Brother Marshall Adcock's radio broadcast came on. He, you know, a few minutes there teaching, preaching. And he thought, you know, that Assembly of God guy, he, he does some good teaching on the, on the radio. I enjoy listening to him. He gets a little fiery. Well, so did Brother Philip. And he, he told his wife, he said, we're going to, to Douglas, to that assembly of God. I like that preacher. She said, honey, they're they're Pentecostal. He said, well, I like him. I feel like God will talk to us. I want God to talk to us. Little did he know it was homecoming Sunday. Brother Eddie from Bible Way was over there preaching homecoming. I preached a rise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. I preached that Sunday morning. There's 500 people there. They all come back for homecoming. House was absolutely packed. And I preached that day. Man, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. There were three messages in tongues and interpretation. I'll tell you, after the third one, still nobody had moved. I thought, great day. Nobody wanted to come to the altar and pray. It's almost like pulling eye teeth. I done gave three altar calls. God was waiting on that Baptist preacher. He stepped up out of his pew. Every step he took, he broke more and more. And he just, by the time he gets to the altar, he's just sobbing. Sister Kim got up just only because... She didn't want to sit on that pew by herself without her husband in that Pentecost church. She ran down to that altar 
and got right up next to him and put both arms around him and looked the whole time. Brother Byron Griffiths, Brother Marshall's associate, got over there and got Brother Philip in a headlock. Put his hand under it. Just speaking in tongues. I'm talking about wide open. Kim. I walked over to Brother Marshall. I said, who is that couple down there in the floor? He said, I've never seen him before in my life. I said, I heard him preaching. I said, he's got a raspy voice. He knows how to pray. He's talking to God. I said, that man's a preacher. I said, I think you ought to go over and rescue him from old brother Byron. Because I could tell Sister Ken was scared to death. Brother Marshall went over there and kind of told Brother Byron, let me pray with this couple. I met him after church. They told me their story, hugged my neck, loved on me. A year later, he had started a church there in his hometown, invited me and Brother Marshall to come preach the first revival. The next year, they were in our camp meeting. God filled both of them Hallelujah. with the Holy Ghost. But I, I, I see that look of fear and horror when they walk in and hear a man preach just with a, an unction that they've never heard before. Takes them by surprise. I've, I've watched the horrified faces. I remember when uh, uh, Sister Deanna came for the first time ever. She was kneeling down over there next to uh, Brother Russ, actually. And Brother Andy Stringfellow was preaching as a guest preacher that night. They came down, the church was all huddled. They knew Brother Russ already, and they were huddled around Brother Russ, trying to help him pray back through, praying him through. Sister Deanna was going. But she's a very vibrant part of our church tonight, alongside of her husband, Brother Nathan. Very vibrant part of our church, spirit-filled. Listen. I understand all of that, but I know what I was. Grew up in, the, in it. It was my heritage. Nothing for me to see it. But I'd never been a part of it. God don't want you just to be entertained by the moving of the Spirit. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit. The Lord just don't want you to be in a Spirit-filled church. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit. Setting in that fear. A spirit-filled church. It is the it is the will of God, according to Acts in chapter number two. It is the will of God that your children be filled with the Holy Ghost. Not be afraid of it, not to shy away from it, or to try to shun it, but to desire it. And the only way they're going to desire it, mom and dad, is for you to be filled. Glory to God. The reason why my children have never been afraid of Pentecost because they grew up in it. It was normal for their mom and dad to get excited about Jesus, to be animated about Jesus, to pray until the infilling of the Spirit comes, to give us unction, life, power. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Brother Les's brother came years ago to one of our services at Somerdale. He had his little boy with him then. His boy died tragically years ago. Brother Les's nephew, just a little old bitty fellow then. He'd never been exposed to Pentecost. He come, Albert brought him, was having marital trouble, really needing God to help him. He come, brought that boy. I preached. I was preaching just like I am tonight. Albert called me later. He said, I think you made an impact on my boy. His name was Leela. I said, I hope I did. He said, oh, you did. He said, he heard every word you said. 
I said, why did he say something to you about it? He said, yeah, we got in the car and started heading down the road. And he said, hey, Dad. He said, what is it, son? He said, what you think about that preacher? He said, Brother Eddie's a good man, son. I like him a lot. I thought he preached good. He said, what did you think about it? He said, that man's serious, ain't he? <laughs> Amen. I think it is serious. I think it's vitally important that we be filled with the fullness of God. Use that text this morning. We also use the one that we might be strengthened in our inner man by the Spirit of God. The wiles of the devil. He's going about as a roaring lion. If you want to protect your children, Teach them how to pray. Teach them the scripture. And then pray them full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Last. Amen. We need a divinely furnished home. If you'll come help me, curse I'm getting through. He said in verse number two, It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth. His beloved sleep. Y'all don't know it, but that's one of my favorite verses. Vain for a man to sit up late, wringing his hands, rubbing his brow, worrying himself to death. He said, that's vain. He said, because that's the Lord's work. If you're praying, you're praying through he said if you're full of the Holy Ghost I'll give you sleep cast your cares on me and then you can go to bed knowing the Lord cares for you ever heard the term man I slept like a baby how's a baby sleep so soundly and peacefully because they ain't paying a light bill they ain't got to get up and go to work the next day they're not buying the groceries. They're not worried about no gas money. Sleep like a baby. When we're praying and living and full of God like we should be, and we've cast all that on the Lord, prayed it through, he said, I'll give my beloved sleep. They know. They know that I'm keeping watch over this house. They know. They don't have to. Worry about where all that's coming from because I am going to take care. I'm a heavenly father. A song we've sang here many times and I love it. He is a good, good father. A divinely furnished home. Solomon's saying here that the furnishings of a home that really matter are not the things that are acquired through late nights and early rising of endless work and toil and labor. Rather, those things are... The gift of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you have need of. He said, I'll add it to you. It'll be my blessing unto you. Wealth can never buy. Listen, somebody said there are two kinds of magic. That of heaven and that of hell. Is your home a heavenly atmosphere or a hellish environment? Before we got saved, there was fussing and fighting and cursing and all kind of sinful activities that would have filled our home. Kirsten was two years old growing up in a hellish environment. After we got born again, our home the environment, the atmosphere changed from that of a hellish environment to a sanctuary. That where they could hear dad praying in the living room. That that when they walked in, gospel music was on the airwaves instead of some ungodly music. Talking about the Lord and talking to people about the Lord instead of screaming and hollering and fussing. Nothing on earth is as wonderful as that heavenly atmosphere. 
It's not a potion. It's not a formula. You can't go somewhere and be taught how to create that. You can't read a book and put a patent or a blueprint on how to work that all out. Except the Lord build the house. The Lord has to do that. It has to become his sanctuary, his abode. Amen. It's that holy atmosphere in a home. Money can't buy that. And then secondly, money can't buy contentment or joy. He said, let your manner of life, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor Forsake thee. Be content with such things as you have. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're not competing with the next family or the next church. You're happy in Jesus. And then money can't buy the refreshment of his presence. He giveth his beloved sleep. Sleep is peace. Peace. Your mind is your heart tormented tonight, wondering how you're going to fix it, how you're going to make it work. Jesus is still the Prince of Peace, a divinely favored home. The Bible said, Lo, children, verse 3, are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. God's greatest favor upon any home is parenthood. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Brother Jonathan took his baby girl out and they were eating supper or dinner somewhere. He posted on Facebook, posted a picture of her sitting across the table from him, grinning ear to ear. He said, I'm one blessed man. I can tell you outside of Jesus, I can tell you what Jonathan Wells lives for. And four beautiful girls he's got. And his wife, of course. I'm saying as a father, there's a, there's a joy that comes from being a father that surpasses the joy of just being a, a man and just being a husband. I can't explain it. I can't describe it. To have a piece of you and a part of you someone dependent upon you to love them and nurture them and provide for them. I used to tell my children you won't understand why I'm so protective over you until you have a child of your own. Then you'll know why. I won't have to explain it to you anymore. And I seen a post a while back Harper asleep on Kirsten's chest and she took a picture of it and she said love her so much it hurts I said now you now you understand something comes along tries to rip or tear that away from you I do that precious child harm everything in you rises up I said no no then there along with that blessing of parenthood comes the responsibility verse 4 is arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Arrows in that text are likened unto children. The flight, the direction, the effect of an arrow depend on the way the air is produced, polished, and where the arrow is pointed, where it's aimed. We'll point our children toward Jesus. He's the desired target. He's the desired goal. You know what the word sin means in the Bible? Sin in the Greek means to miss the mark. It's to aim for the bullseye and miss it. To the right, to the left, high or low, to miss the mark. Jesus is the desired target. The goal is to be like Jesus. I was a little boy, you know what my goal was? To be a major league baseball player along with millions of other little boys. After I got saved, I realized I had the wrong goal. My goal all along should have been to be like Jesus. I could have done that and played baseball too. 
but I was missing the mark. So the Lord had to kind of set the scope, so to speak. Took Brother Homer, he bought a gun, we had to sight the scope in. Shooting to the right, shooting too high, shooting too low, constantly readjusting and fixing that scope to hit the mark. Really, that's what we're doing all through life. If we find ourselves missing the mark, we come back to the altar and say, Lord, I was aiming too low there. Lord, I missed the mark. I got my eyes off of you and I missed the mark to the right. How many young people sometimes take their eyes off of Jesus and put it on a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they start missing the mark and the Lord deals with their heart. So you need to refocus. You need to look again. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. Christianity in our home. Church is made up of homes. Families. Husbands, wives, children. Grandchildren. For some, great-grandchildren. Sister Mary has great-grandchildren attending this church. And Lord, I know her. Family has always been important. God, it should be. It's ordained of you. I pray, Lord God, that you would build our house. It would start with my relationship with you. My relationship with my wife, with my children, my grandchildren. I'd be able to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help me, O God, to build upon the right foundation to provide a place of safety, a safe haven. God, and if children are like arrows, help me to point them in the right direction so that they'll hit the mark. Touch us around this altar tonight, Lord. There's some families here that need miracles and you're a miracle worker you can do Lord God what nobody else can do your name is called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace God we cast our cares on you tonight would you help us would you help us let that be your prayers we flow into this altar tonight seek the face of God not only for ourselves but for our spouse for our children for their children. Amen. That God would build our home. Set the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. God touches us to help us. Lord.